and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Obeska, and I am happy to announce that we have just been named to the top 40 social justice podcasts by Feedspot. So, hey, but in other news... I'm speaking with documentary filmmaker Ileana Sosa about a personal narrative documentary she made about her grandfather, Julian, What We Leave Behind. I really appreciated this film and exactly how precisely perfectly titled this film is. Mm -hmm. What We Leave Behind is just a stunning title for this film. And I wondered if maybe you could start from how you arrived at that title. Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me. Uh, It's a pleasure. So when I first started the project, I had no idea what it would be called, (laughs) to be honest. But as I started filming throughout the years, and specifically uh, the last year of my grandfather's life, when he decided to build this house, you know, that became very important aspect of the story and the edit. And so my editor and I, I was working with an editor at the time um, by the name of Clementina. We had been thinking about what would, you know, what, what would the title be? And we were thinking, oh, well, what is it? that people leave, you know, behind when, when they're about to pass, what, 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 what do we want to leave? And so it, by just having a conversation, um, we came up with that title, what we leave behind. Um, and it just so happens that it fits perfectly because at the time, that's when my grandfather was barely just starting to talk about building this house. And then from there, um, yeah, I mean, the, the story, unfolded in the way very organically. Um, and then later I started working with Isidore Bethel, who's the main editor on the film and who really helped me get to the point where the film is is now what you see with, with the footage that I was able to get uh, when my grandfather was constructing this house. Yeah. And what's also interesting is that the title plays in two different ways. So both in terms of talking about the legacy of your grandfather, Julian, but then also talking about when your mother and other family members leave him behind to go to the United States, the idea that he represents something that's been left behind. And the way that you play with that within the film was really impressive to me. In terms of shaping the edit, what was your primary objective in shaping it the way that you did? Yeah. So again, I give credit to Isidore Bethel, who is amazing. And I I had a very different version of this film. I did a true false catapult retreat a few years ago. And I remember not feeling this was a film. Something was off. And I I remember sending it to Isidore and he responded by sending me six, like six or seven pages of just notes of things that I knew needed to happen of things that needed to change and shift. And I didn't quite yet know that the film would encompass this uh, construction. I didn't know that I would be filming until, you know, the last few days of my grandfather's life. And so when all of that came together and we started looking at footage together, you know, we both agreed the strongest material was in, in those last years of, you know, of, of me filming and, and building the house. And our goal was like, okay, so we have this footage of him. We want to make sure that we, are honoring his legacy as well. Uh, you know, Bracero, that was that's not a main theme right now and in the film, but we thought it was important to include and just to include what the pace of life is like in Durango. And I thought we were able to 
achieve that with what we had is sort of slower pace and there's some really long takes. So it was a challenge though, because not only with those long takes, but also it took me a while to understand my grandfather um, throughout the filming process. Even though I'm fluent in Spanish, he speaks in a certain dialect. I noticed that actually. Yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, I at first didn't understand. So there'd be interviews where I'd be asking him things over and over. And I think he'd get really frustrated because I wasn't understanding him. And then later, you know, we, over time, we developed this common language. Um, But that was also a challenge because Isidore is fluent in Spanish, but, you know, some of the stuff he, he wouldn't understand and I didn't understand. So I would always ask my mother, oh, what does my grandfather say here? What does he say here? And I, that really, um, she was amazing in, in that respect and helping us also um, just be, be part of it, be part of the edit in that way. <laughs> so it's really collaborative effort. Wow. Well, it's fascinating also to talk about language because I find that watching this film, I was really overwhelmed by the stark differences in language between yourself and your grandfather and your mother too. There are so many pronounced differences there. And I just wondered how much of you wanted to talk about that in the film, or was that something you considered? I think it organically unfolded in that way. I grew up first generation. My first language was Spanish, and then later I learned English. And my mother's, you know, her her language, her first language is Spanish. She knows a little bit of English, but it's funny to see it's interesting to see those generational differences in the language. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, my grandfather has a very specific way of speaking and it's a very, it's hard to describe, um, very poetic and full of just these beautiful nuances that I will never be able to like speak in that way. <laughs> it's so funny too, because reading the subtitles at the bottom doesn't quite capture the full beauty of it. Yeah, exactly. And that's, we, we were really careful with the subtitles to try to convey as much or preserve as much of, of that language as we could, but it, it, it was a very difficult task. And so even, you know, when we screened this film uh, this past summer in Mexico City, when we were finishing it, some fluent Spanish speakers still, some don't, some couldn't understand also. And we have Spanish subtitles for that. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm proud of the film because in a way it's preserving that linguistic legacy as well. I mean, there's yeah. not many people that speak in this way, uh, except for, you know, people that live like in, in this little town, Durango or other towns, right in Mexico, it's a very specific way of talking, but also just being, and I- I'm proud that the film is preserving some of that. Very much so. And especially with the very slow observational style that you adopted, where it's like everything happens organically in the frame, it really allows for the feeling of discovery as you're watching. I hope so. I I hope that that comes across. That was my intention to try to show the pace of life there. Uh, Just people move in a different way. They, They just experience life differently. Uh, It's unhurried. And, you know, even though my grandfather was always on doing something, but he still, there was a calmness about the, you know, uh, he, he, my mother, a few weeks ago, I I didn't know he'd say this, but she says every morning he'd wake up and he'd say, Oh, let, let me go see how uh, in Spanish is voy a ver cómo amaneció el mundo. I'm let me go and wake up and see how the, how the world woke up today. Like it's just a very, 
an almost Buddhist way of living. And I love, I love that. I wish I could, part of me has carried some of that into my own life, but it'll never be the same. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a dying tradition of, I think, of seeing the world in a, in a very, how do I say it? Just not unhurried way, right? <laughs> just yeah. It's so beautiful the way you capture the pace of life, but then also getting toward the end where you capture also the pace of saying goodbye. I can't imagine what that would have been like as a filmmaker, having to have that ethical conflict between how do you cope with this as a human and as a filmmaker and as a granddaughter and a daughter and and I'm sure that navigation was very difficult, but you deal with it so beautifully within the film. I just want to commend you for that, but then also ask how, <laughs> how? <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, that means a lot to me. Uh, Isidore, uh, my editor, and I were really careful to, to show just what we needed to show to convey that and really wanted to be respectful um, of my grandfather getting really sick and, you know, that was really important for us not to show more than what we needed to write for those moments. But I have to be honest with you. I didn't want to film those moments. Like there was times when I, I didn't film everything I could have during that time. You know, when my grandfather passed, there was a wake that lasted all night, people coming in and out, the, the town coming to see him and spend time with the family. Uh, when And then the next day, the whole town came out to carry his coffin throughout the town and, and go to the cemetery. That's a very traditional way of saying goodbye to a loved one in Mexico. It's very traditional, but I just, it was, it, I just didn't want to, I didn't feel, I didn't want to film it. And what you saw in the film and that I did film were moments where I, I thought, okay, maybe this is an opportunity to, to just, if I do need it in case that I need it, right. It wasn't something that I really was looking forward to. And I constantly wrestled with because there were moments where I just wanted to be with my family. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then there were moments where I knew I was making this film and it's just, it's just a really thin fine line between being a documentary filmmaker and then, Oh, it's also my family. And I'm, I just have to be here right now. And, it's just a film. So yeah. I was constantly wrestling between those two, uh, those two situations. And it's such an ethical conundrum to be in, to have that privilege to be able to be with a family member in that way, the way that you were so close while you were filming. But at the same time, it's also yet another ethical conundrum for the documentary filmmaker who tries to decide how much to be in one place or the other and which identity to adopt. Exactly. And also just given everything that's happened these past two years with the pandemic, I think I'm even more aware of that now to even have had the opportunity and um, privilege to be there. I mean, to film it. Yeah. It's, 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 it still gets to me today where a lot of family members haven't had the opportunity to say goodbye. It's just still, I, I can't imagine not being able to do that. Uh, I feel really fortunate uh, that I was able to just be there. And I have to ask, where is the hat? The hat, yeah. Uh, you're the first person. You're the first person to ask that. <laughs> I love that question. I, um, it's, it's. I mean, it's still there in Durango. He, he, um, yeah, in his room. 
Um, Jorge, my uncle, uh, still sleeps in that room. Wow. Shared, and it's still there. Yeah. And he, he was, he had, I think, two of them and he was buried with one of them. But I think the one that you see in the film is still at the house, at his house. That's incredible. How fitting, though, that it's still with Jorge. Yeah. It's wonderful. Were all your family members as gung ho about it as he was? Yeah. I mean, I fortunately had a very supportive family and everyone was very supportive um, of the project. And, you know, I think for them now, it's some of some of my family hasn't seen it because they're not, they feel they're not ready to see it. And I've respected that, but they all have been really supportive of me making the film about him, right? They see it as like, oh, this is a way of preserving also that legacy and him and his memory. So I think they're, they've been very supportive of that. And I interviewed a lot of other family members that in those interviews didn't make it into the film. But over the course of that, I learned not only about him, but really about my family as a whole and their experiences and, you know, uh, things that I didn't know about before. I mean, and that, that's, that happens, right. When you're making a personal doc, like I, I didn't expect to learn certain things and um, some very traumatic, other uplifting moments, but yeah, it was. So all of that is now part of, of the film in a way, even though it's not there, but it's, and a part of me now too. Of course, it's a part of you now. You live it as you <laughs> live it, right? But I have to ask, are you planning on watching this when it screens at South by Southwest? Oh, I, I've i seen it many times already. Yeah, of course. I, I think I will, my mother will be there and my father and my sister and my team who's worked incredibly hard to get this off the ground and... I think it would be a disservice not to see it with an audience. I have to, you know, as much as it's painful for me, I I think I'll probably see the first screening and not the others, but I I definitely will be there. And I think it's, it's a different form of watching when you're, when you, when you're with an audience um, and especially this one um, that I love so much, all the people that I love are going to be in that room. So I have to. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's the least I can do, honestly. And um, as much as it is a difficult thing to do, but I'm, I just, yeah, I feel very privileged to be able to even to be able to do that. And that's another remarkable privilege to be able to do those things, but to also consider how long and how hard this journey has been to get here. What would you say was the biggest obstacle for you in creating this? I think the biggest obstacle for me in creating this, it was not just one thing. I think learning the craft of documentary filmmaking as I was doing it was was one challenge in particular. And also developing that relationship with my grandfather, honoring his story, truly understanding him linguistically. I, um, there were times where I'd be filming and I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure what direction to take it because of, of that obstacle. And also funding. I mean, for many years, I was working on this myself, producing it myself, directing it. And it wasn't until, you know, funders came in like Sundance and the Ford Foundation have been so incredibly supportive that I was able to hire crew and hire my editor and producer. And that's just really helped the film become what it is now. Otherwise, I don't know. I never thought I'd be in this place, to be honest. (laughs) At what stage in the process did you have that support. I'm just curious oh. how many years and oh, it was I would I have to say seri- like the 
serious funding didn't come in until a few years ago. I mean, maybe two or three years ago. It's been, for the most part, I was doing it on my own and then getting small grants here and there. But yeah, it wasn't until later in the process, once I had filmed a lot that I that I started receiving some some funding, which again, it was incredibly helpful and, and being able to hire uh, a production team, but also post. And it's just been, yeah, it's been amazing. The Ford Foundation and Sundance have been, and Austin Film Society is one of the funders as well. And El Paso Museum Cultural Affairs Department, they gave me my first little fund and that was just, that helped me so much. So, And altogether, how long did the whole process take? Uh, it was about seven years, yeah. Yeah, going on eight years because now we're in eighth, eighth year now. <laughs> yeah, and you'll be with it probably for another year on the festival circuit. Yeah, I'm. I'm really excited to be now able to travel with it. Honestly, it's just it's such a dream. Um, and I'm happy in a way. My grandfather was able to go to these places with me. You know, I never imagined that. It's just a shame you don't have his hat on. But, <laughs> but I think he'll forgive you. <laughs> But I really adore this film. When you think about the decisions that your grandfather made, are there ones that you look back on now with a different eye? Hmm. That's a great question. I I do. I mean, I, you know, I really admired his tenacity, just his work ethic. Um, that decision to never remarry. Hmm because he didn't want someone else to tell his children what to do. The decision to leave them, he would go work as a bracero and leave them behind. My mother would, is, was the oldest and she'd take care of them. I can't imagine what that was like. I really can't. So I really admire that. I, I, I don't know what I would do in those circumstances. Um, so I just it makes me admire him even more and really realize what a treasure of a man he was. To have that strength and fortitude to do that. It takes a very special person to do that. It really does. And especially to have the strength to do all of the things that he does. You see him doing everything from lugging around giant pieces of wood and stone and to the emotional weight of the stories he's telling. And that was important for us to, for me to capture, but also include because that's who he was. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd always want to get things done and in his way. And there was never, he, he'd always say, um, you know, everything has a solution except death. I mean, he would just talk in that way, right? And then my mother uses that phrase too. And it's very matter of fact. It's like every, everything can be done. So let's just do it. He was never one to just sit around and, and wait for things to happen. He was always constantly in movement. And now you have to be constantly in movement because of him. So yeah, yeah, which I'm very grateful for. That's really wonderful. And I love this film. I wish you so much success with it. I know you've already had tremendous success with it, but I wish you even more. And I just would like you to know that it was deeply touching for me. And I literally watched it three times. Uh, thank you so much, Ariel. That really, really means a lot to me. I think, yeah, hearing just you say that it resonated with you in that way just speaks volumes. And I just really appreciate that a lot. <laughs> so thank you so much. And I hope it does continue to have its journey and touch people the way that it did for you. So I really appreciate it. I wish you every luck at South by Southwest. And thank you. Before you go, did you know that we're presenting at South by Southwest? 
Rabia and I will be talking about crafting a culture of accessibility in the film and TV industry. Please stay tuned and we will share more about what's going on in Austin. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of land stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch.